turn in, uh, in your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 8. Um, do I need to point this anywhere, Connor? I can just point it in the air and it'll change. Okay. There we go. Um, I don't normally do PowerPoint. Um, the only time I really do PowerPoint <clears throat> is for uh, conferences. That's about it. Um, but I thought today we'd do something a little different, okay? Um, I can remember in seminary, professors saying, if you need to use PowerPoint, you ought not to be teaching. That's what they used to say. But I think for this particular issue and this particular passage, we need to take a look at, we need to be familiar with what we did last week. Last week is impactful because it started the ministering messages uh, going. Um, We looked at chapter 8 of Zechariah. Some of you were here, and uh, you need to be reminded. And then some of you were not here. So this is going to catch up in a very brief, very brief way. Uh, It's not really going to give you any significance to what was said, but it'll give you an idea of where we were. So I want to remind And then I want to introduce at the same time, but it's going to be in abbreviated form. Uh, One thing we do know, one thing that is without question is the faithfulness of our God. Do do I get some amens on that? even, Even though we don't do amens at Grace Church, we'll do an amen on that, okay? All right? The faithfulness of our God. We see his attributes. We see how he works in our life daily. Uh, how he works in our life to even save us. I I use Deuteronomy chapter 7 just as an introduction to that particular thought. And um, I'm just going to remind you, not that you have to turn there or anything, but uh, Deuteronomy 7 verse 9, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps his covenant and his loving kindness to the thousandth generation with those who love him and keep his commandments. But it's all impacted right in there, who love him and keep his commandments. It's not just about saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, and then go and live in your life any way you want to. So there are 10 messages here. We looked at five last week uh, that the prophet was bringing, and he brings it, and remember, I always like to keep this reminding you, it was brought to the Old Testament setting, This is post-exilic Israel. They've just come back into the land. They've been building the temple for a while, and it's to these people. But we can extract from that powerful messages for us about our God. And that's what we need to remember. This is where my God is speaking to me. We need to listen. So the first message, okay, the first message was that Zechariah Trent that transmits to us is about God's love. We see that in verses 1 and 2. Let me just read those. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am zealous for her. It's described as exceedingly jealous. Burning is what the, one of the words I used last week. This is a jealous love that he has for Israel. He loves them deeply, sincerely. This is a, unlike any love that we've ever felt or any kind of love that we've ever given. This is an extraordinary love because it's perfect love, because it's God's love. God made a commitment to them. When he chose them and, and he chose them out of all of the ites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites, whatever ites were out there, and he chose the Israelites, he put his love on them. And he kept it there. He kept it there. He kept it there. It was a burning love. The second message that we looked at was the second message to God's people about God's being. And when I say God's being, I mean that he is with us. He's around us. He is for us. God made this commitment and he is there with us. His omnipresence is seen, understood, felt. This is the being of God. And frankly, we could take the bottom line on that. He is dependable. He is dependable. 
That's interesting. I'm coming up the stairs and a fellow's walking down the stairs and tells me that he's got this, you know, thing in his heart that's bothering him. So I pray with him and I said, you know, God can take care of you, you know, uh, uh, and that there's enough scripture there that you can depend upon him. And has he not taken care of you in the past? He can take care of you in the future. He will do that. We pray for that. He's dependable. The third message, the third message, okay, must be my finger. That's what it is. The third message to God's people is that there will be peace and security, that they can trust him. And and basically, I need to read that in verses four and five. Thus says the Lord, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem each man with his staff in his hand because of age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the streets. And as you remember last week, I said, the only place that you can have children playing in the streets and the only place where you can have old men able to walk around is when there is peace, when there is security. I mean, I grew up at that time. Back in the... And then um, there was plenty... There was plenty, I mean, we're out in the streets all the time. I left my mom's house right after breakfast, and I came back probably for dinner, and that was it. She never saw me for the rest of the day. We're out there playing all the time, and and, and we could be down at the ballpark. We could be all over the place, and sometimes my friends cause trouble, Um, (laughs) but we were out there. She didn't worry about me. My children are growing up, and who's out there? What's out there? I got to sit at the at the curb and watch them play because I don't know who to trust. Our world has changed, folks, hasn't it? It's really certainly not improved except in the area of computers and those kinds of things. This uh, third message here is that we can trust God. We can trust him. He's dependable. He is keeping peace here. The next a fourth message found in verse six. Let me read that. Thus says the Lord, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord? Nothing is difficult for him. If God has a sovereign plan, he's going to take care of it. He's going to have it um, carried out. His omnipotence just shows us that. There's nothing that's too difficult for our God. Folks, think about it. If he could save you, he can do anything. I, I think the, the craziest story I ever heard, remember Jeffrey Dalmer? Yes. <sighs> he, he used to uh, eat people. I mean, how could you be a cannibal in Minnesota? I mean, you know, it's, not cold, it's too cold there. But that's what he used to do. And in jail, I heard that there is a story, and it's written pretty significantly, that he gave his life to Christ. Can he be saved? He certainly can. He certainly can. And so God can do those kinds of things. We have an incredible God. We shortchange him sometimes when we start to worry about things. Oh, I wonder if this is going to happen. That's going to happen. I remember going through the Chicago airport with Lance Quinn, and we had minutes to get through, just like Carl did, you know, in his connection. And he's, Lance, we got to go. He said, look, it's, it's going to happen or it's not going to happen. I remember going to Vienna. I was on my way to Croatia, and I was late. The bus had already left in, in the airport. They take you out to the, to, the air, uh, to the plane. And I walk in, they said, are you Mr. Shannon? How did they know I'm Mr. Shannon? I'm the last one. They held the plane up for me. I couldn't believe it. That doesn't happen in America. It only happened in Czech Republic. Vienna, yeah, it only happened in Vienna. Is there anything that God cannot accomplish? Is there anything that he cannot do? He's omnipotent, and we need to remember that. Last one that we looked at last week Verses seven and eight, let me read that. Thus says the Lord, behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back. They will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. 
These are definitive. He's going to do it. He says it. He's going to do it. That's the sovereign plan. He has a covenant responsibility here. Just like in marriage, folks, there's a covenant responsibility. That you stay there. I just found out that somebody's come up with a third reason to get a divorce, and I was challenged by one of our fellow pastors to take a look at it. Um, I don't believe it, but I will take a look at it. So that's the introduction from last week. That spoke of the incredible faithfulness of our God. That is the underlying theme in these messages, the faithfulness of our God. He is a great God, and he is a great Savior. Each of these messages communicated by Zechariah are incredibly pertinent to the life of the Old Testament Jew, as well as to you. They all matter to you. There's the sixth one, okay? And we're going to turn the page here, so to speak. And the sixth one is found in verses 9 through 13. Let me read that for us. And in 9 through 13, it says this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. For before those days, there was no wage for man or any wage for animal. And for him who went out or came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And I said, all men one against another. But now I will not treat the remnant of my people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. From, for there will be peace for the seed and, and the vine will yield its fruit. The land will yield its produce and the heavens will give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all these things. It will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, O house of of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear. Let your hands be strong. Wow. This is a powerful message. Powerful message that God produces results. God produces results. Remember that. That's what he does. He produces results. Friends, whether it be in your life or in the life of seven other billion people on this planet, God is producing results. He's either drawing you to him or he's sending you away. He's closing your eyes because you don't want to receive the grace that he's giving you. That's what God is doing. He's doing something. He's producing results. He's making you more condemned if you don't listen to him. For some, it is for their good, what he's doing, and for others, it is to their condemnation. All these messages are given by the prophet Zechariah to instill hope, though. Hope in the chosen people. Hope in God's people that he has taken out of the world. Friends, you have been taken out of the world. You have been chosen of God. And that's hope for the now for them, while the temple is being built, while they're under construction. And it's also for future post-exilic Israel. For those who are going to be what? As Deuteronomy 7, 9 said, those who are going to obey the scriptures. Specifically, this message is an exhortation to continue in the building of the temple. The temple was, it takes a long time. It doesn't happen overnight. They are still in the midst of building this temple. Verse 9 says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. As a matter of fact, you can look at verse 13. The last part of it, it says, do not fear, let your hands be strong. So it's buffeted with that idea of let your hands be strong. What does that mean? You want to be useful for God's work. That's what it means. You want to be useful for God's work. Your hands need to be strong, especially if you're working on the temple. But it's not just about strong hands. Those are important, yes, in the building of the temple. But it also means to have a heart that's full of strength. A heart that's not questioning God. What are you doing here, God? I don't understand what's going on here. 
It's a heart that's full of belief. It's a heart that's full of trust. Trust in him. And even in the situations that don't seem so wonderful, that you can still trust him. They are to wait with great expectation at the word of the Lord. Verse 9 says this, and this is the exhortation. You are listening in these days to these words from the mouth of the prophets. It could be said this way in the Hebrew. They are the hearing ones. They're taking in what God has to say. I've had many a conversation with some of the pastors around here. And we realize that there are people that do attend Grace Church and they're auditors. You understand what that means. They just come and they audit the message. They don't take it in. They don't do anything about it. Oh yeah, that was really good. Well, John wasn't so good today. You know, that kind of thing. Those are auditors. To really do something with it, you need to engage. Teach the counseling class. We had 88 students come into the first class. And we have a, a, a column there that's auditing, okay, and those who are paid. Well, it's both. You have to pay no matter what. If you're going to sit in the class, you've got to pay for it. But you know what? There are some that choose to just audit the class. In other words, not do the work. They do not get as much out of it as the people doing the work. The people doing the work are engaging with listening to messages. They're engaged in reading paper, uh, reading uh, books. They're engaged in doing papers. They're doing something about it. That's what Zechariah is talking about here. Those who are listening in these days to these words, listening, hearing it, being convicted, doing something about it. God works and those who actually listen to him. If you don't listen to him, you're going to go and do whatever you want to do. God works in them, those who are willing to listen to what he has to say. God has purposes, and he works with those who want to further the purposes of God. That's what it's about. It's not about your individual purposes. It's not about having a good time. It's not about having a lot of friends. It's not about making a lot of money. It's about doing the purposes of God. There's nothing else beyond that. It is not about yourself. Wonder of wonders. But how many people are so caught up in only caring about themselves? I, you know, I could go to the New Testament, and you could turn there if you want, but you don't have to because you probably have this verse memorized. Ephesians 2.10, it says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. In other words, that's what you're supposed to be doing, doing the work of the Lord. Now, all of you aren't called to full-time ministry. I, I understand that. But you know what? You have people that you minister to every single day, whether you want to know it or not. I mean, I was in the working world when I got called by the Lord, and I had opportunities to talk to people, my customers. And no, I did not fear that I would lose the customer. I, I would have some, some person who's, who's working on a hotel job, and I would say, well, can, how can I pray for you? What's that? I mean, that's basically what you'd get. How can I pray for you? And then introduce opportunities. I got to tell you this one story. I went out and in the hotel business, I'm working with interior designers and decorators. So they're either women or gay guys. Okay, that's, that's the crowd. And so I'm out with about four or five people ha having a nice lunch. And I said, you know, I got to teach this Sunday school lesson on Sunday. How would you do it? And I told them what the Sunday school lesson was. Do you know what? Everybody has an opinion. They, they, were, they went around the table and everybody had an opinion. One guy locked it down completely. His name was John. I said, John, where'd you get that from? He said, you used to go to Sunday school class. What happened? And then we would talk about it. His brother was still a Christian. His brother was a Christian. And he used to tell me that his Sunday school teachers was Dale Evans and Roy Rogers. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So I knew exactly what church he was in up here in Northridge. Ladies and gentlemen, that, those are opportunities that you have every single day. You have to be creative in thinking of how can I get them to talk about God? And then how can I get them the message? You see, be, being a believer is not 
the time that I pull up my easy chair, and I've got an easy chair, my wife will tell you, she's trying to take it over, by the way. I've got an easy chair, and I like to, to lay back, and I like to read, and I like to watch my baseball game. You know, now that it's not the season, I do a lot more reading. <laughs> but it's not, that's what, not what this life is about. And it doesn't mean that you're running around all the time either. But ladies and gentlemen, what an opportunity we have. I want to, whatever number it is that God wants in his kingdom, I want it to see happen as quickly as possible because I want to go there. That's what I want. So we should be about doing for God. It is a time for action. It's a time for purpose. If you have a struggle in your life, your Christian walk, Whatever that particular thing is, look at it as a weakness, yes, but strengthen that weakness. Do something about it. If you're tempted in an area, begin to eliminate that particular temptation. You have to think big, folks. You have to think big about what God can do in your life. Be strong. Let your hands be strong. That's what Zechariah is saying here. Have confidence in yourself that God is at work. That's Philippians 1.6. I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. Well, let's see it completed. Let's see it completed. Think big. Think big. You know what I'd like to call this is motivation by devotion. I am so devoted to him because he saved me out of a, a, a world of sin. I want to be devoted to him in everything. Psalm 34, 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's where you need to run. Psalm 46, 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in a time of trouble. That's where we need to run, folks. Go back to him. If I may, and I, I discovered this, well, discovered it. I read it this week. Psalm 136. I'm just going to indulge myself Okay, I hope in indulging you. But Psalm 136, this, as I'm reading this this week because of Thanksgiving, verse one, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. For his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him alone does great wonders for his loving kindness is everlasting. Do you get the, there's a, a trend here, isn't there? His loving kindness is everlasting. You know, and, and for you who are going through trials today, his loving kindness is everlasting. He's a good God. He gives good things. Yes, it may be trouble that he gives, but it's still good. It's good for you to work through it. I don't need to go through the rest of that psalm, but that is absolutely beautiful. And that should be read every single Thanksgiving. We should be giving thanks, giving thanks even for the troubles that we have. Because he's at work. Back to Zechariah. Let your hands be strong. It could also be said this way, be of good courage. Be of good courage. You know, building the temple was not an easy thing. I mean, they, uh, these were just mere men. They didn't have all the construction equipment that we have today and all those kinds of things. And, and if you've ever been to Israel and you look at some of the stones that are there, you go, how in the world did they do that? It's incredible. Be of good courage as you take up the construction of the temple. Fear nothing as God produces the results. He's the one who's going to bring about the results. Friends, when you are doing the Lord's work, be of good courage. He knows that you're doing his work. And he knows exactly what's going on in your heart as you're doing his work. If you're doing it for other reasons, to, to make a name for yourself or get your name on the marquee or something else, that's a wrong reason. And God knows that as well. And, and may I put it this way? It doesn't matter if you're helping your three-year-old. And we had this young tyke over yesterday to our house. And he gets over to the light and he starts looking at the light. And I says, oh, who's the light of the world? He looks at me and says, 
I mean, he he was stuck for a little while. Who's the light of the world? Jesus? I mean, that's just a a little guy. His dad's in seminary, so he has to know the answer, right? (laughs) It probably even knows the Greek word for it, right? (laughs) It doesn't matter if you're teaching a three-year-old or you're teaching 3,000 people. God wants you to be faithful in doing what you're doing. The task that he's called you to, I think it's great that our men are going Africa, Russia. I mean, this is incredible. It's not easy to go to Russia in December or January or February or March. (laughs) Just filling out the form to get there is tough. There's a promise here as well at the end of verse 9. Those who spoke in the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid to the end that the temple might be built. Those strong hands are going to be used by God to complete the temple. The house of the Lord will be completed. This is God's sovereign plan and nothing is going to stand in his way. I love Isaiah 46.10 and I may have used it last week, but if I did, please Forgive me for using it two weeks in a row, but Isaiah 46.10 says this, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying my purpose, that's God's purpose, will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. He's going to accomplish it. So folks, make sure you're living for him and not for yourself. As you continue to live for yourself, he's still going to do what he wants to do. Give in and say, you know what? You're the king of kings and lord of lords. I'm not. I'm not. Verse 10. For before those days. Now, I stopped right there. As a matter of fact, I've got a mark in my Bible. Okay, what does before those days mean? I got to figure that out. And so as I studied it and I figured out before those days, to the best of my ability, is before the days of Haggai and Zechariah. Those are the post-exilic um, Prophets, it has to be before those days, those prophets. That's before the reconstruction of the temple actually started. They had been let out of Babylon. They had come to the, to the uh, uh, promised land, and they're just there trying to stay alive. I mean, they've got all kinds of nefarious hoodlums around and, and all of those kinds of things. They're just trying to stay alive. So before those days is the way, the best I can figure it is about that time. These are the days before they were obedient as well. They were not being obedient because they were let out of Babylon to come into Jerusalem to start to build the temple immediately, to put up the walls so that the uh, uh, crooks and, and criminals couldn't get in. Those are the days where they were not obedient to God. And because of that disobedience, They were plagued with problem after problem after problem. I don't know if you've ever been there. Because of disobedience, they were plagued with problem after problem after problem. Before those days, there was no wage for man and no wage for animals. Friends, they worked, and they worked. And I got to tell you, I can't think of a situation where I've ever worked and not gotten paid. Maybe not paid enough, but I can tell you, you work, and you work, and you get paid. But they were working and they didn't get paid wages. They didn't get paid. There were no wages to be given out. There was no money to be awarded to anybody for doing work. And, and oh, by the way, it says here, the animals weren't even paid. You go, huh? The animals receive a wage? No, the owner of the Uber donkey, okay, would get uh, some money for renting out his Uber donkey. And uh, there was none of that going on either. In addition, this was a time when there was no security. Back to that verse 10. And for him who went out and came in, there was no peace because of his enemies. And I set all men against another, one man against another. Do you know God can do that? God can do that even in your disagreements with people. God can set you one against another? Ooh. Because you're not doing it his way. Because you're selfish. Because you're self-serving. He does those kinds of things. 
the time before the actual construction of the temple was a tumultuous time. It was, it was an incredible time. Lots of fear, if I may say it this way. Fear lived in the streets. Safety was little known. There were no old men walking around in the streets and there were no young children walking in the streets. Frankly, it was a time where it was every man for himself. Every man for himself. Beloved, this was a time characterized by strife and depression because nothing was being accomplished. Nothing was happening with the temple and nothing was being accomplished in the hearts of the Jews. They were not growing. They were not listening. They were auditing the message of God. Friends, the internal strife between neighbors was strife caused by Yahweh. God demands obedience, folks. Listen to that. God demands obedience. I mean, if Jesus is leaving this earth in Matthew uh, chapter 28, and he says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 19 says, and teaching them to observe all that I have given you. He didn't say teaching them most of what I gave you. Some of what I gave you. He says, teaching them all that I have given you. Not in poquito, but all of it. All of it. That's what we're supposed to do. Now, I, I don't want to confuse things that you have to be perfect. But wouldn't that be great if we could be? Wouldn't it be great that we could be? But in Christ, you already are. In Christ, you already are because of the work of God. They were not interested in God's house in those days, and therefore their hands were not strong, and there was no safety, there was no security in the nation. It was a scary place to be. I I can't imagine uh, living in Hong Kong and all the strife that's going on there. I can't imagine living in the Crimea when the, when the Russians invaded that. I can't imagine being in Afghanistan, Iraq, or all of those places where there's been war. I've never had to live through that. I don't have to live through the war of paying taxes. God withheld his favor here, folks. And can I tell you something? And I, and I, I don't like to be a prophet, I'm not. But God is going to withhold his favor from this country. It's not too far down the road. And frankly, it may already be starting. I mean, some of the things I'm reading about, I just cannot believe. That's in the line for legislation and those kinds of things. God withheld his favor. He withheld his blessing. And think about this individually in your own life. Does he do that in your own life? Be obedient, walk faithfully, get strong hands. Haggai 1.9. Haggai, for those who want to say it different, because we say it two different ways. Haggai 1.9 says, You look for much, but behold, it comes too little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, Because of my house, which lies desolate, which each of you runs to his own house. You run to your own house, but you don't take care of my house. Again, disobedience brings consequence. Disobedience brings consequence. The consequence is no wages. The consequence is no peace. One man is set against another. See that beginning in the Christian church even. And it's getting scarier and scarier. I I don't think the internet helps Christianity. I really don't. I mean, there's so much bickering that I see on on the blogosphere. The prophet here is reminding them of the bad days. Do you remember the bad days? Our memories don't usually hang on to those kinds of things very well. He wanted them to remember the bad days so that they would desire the good days. That's what he wanted them to do. He wanted them to understand that God Almighty was in their midst 
and that God Almighty was going to strengthen their hands to get the work done. Verse 11, but now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. God will produce results. He now declares, I'm not going to treat them like I used to treat them. I'm going to treat them this way. Where God had used the people's indifference to the temple as an opportunity to expose their selfish hearts, God now is going to produce a different approach. The fruitless early days of return to Jerusalem are replaced by Yahweh with a determination to bring about true service to the king. That's what he wants. Yahweh explains that new approach in verse 12. For there will be peace for the seed, the vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield yield its produce, and the heavens will give their due. You know, we have all these global warmists and global changing people. Folks, we have nothing to do with the climate change. God does. God does. He, He holds back the rain He did that for Elijah for three years and then it it rained and now he can hold back the dew. By the way, if if you've been to Israel, you know that they need the dew each morning. That's what they do. They they use that to, to feed their plants. Without that, those plants would die. There will be peace for the seed. My, that's interesting. So I kept reading about this and reading about this and reading about this. You know what I discovered? It usually takes four to five years before a good crop can be usable from the fruit of the vine. It takes four or five years. Well, if God stops the dew for two years, guess what? You have to start all over again. The vines have died. Now you've got to start all over again. If you live in a nation where war and other disturbance are a natural occurrence, the vine is not going to yield a crop. It's not going to happen. The peace here for the seed is a euphemism, a euphemism for peace in the nation. There is no peace in the nation. There's no peace for the seed. The seed cannot germinate. The seed cannot bring forth fruit. The nation cannot receive the benefits of that fruit. When there is no peace and security and when the people are not walking in obedience, there is no prosperity the economy becomes dysfunctional. And when the people are not walking in obedience, they're not going to understand that. They're, not going, to, they're going to be acting dysfunctionally. We can take a picture. A dear friend was telling me again, he's got folks down in Venezuela. And one parent wanted to go down, the female. And he said to his dad, you can't. Just let her go down by herself. Because that that country is out of order completely and thoroughly. You need to have others there with her to protect her. That's that's where there's no safety there. Frankly, there's no morality there anymore. It's gone. God has removed all of that from them. And, And I don't want to say just pick on that one particular country. But it's that way here as well in some situations. We're told, again, you know, we saw in Haggai uh, 1. Let's look at Haggai 1, 10 and 11. Turn there and see the picture of disobedience. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I call for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what? the ground produces on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. That's what God imposed on them. Why? Disobedience. Disobedience. God is withholding his blessing there. We can see that. But look at Haggai 2.19. I love this because right in the same short um, letter from Haggai, prophecy from Haggai, in 2.19 it says, is the seed still in the barn? even including the vine, the fig tree, and the pomegranate and the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, okay, God declares, I will bless. 
He can choose to bless when he wants to. And you know what, folks? He can even choose to bless disobedient people if he wants to. But he can take it away like that. He can wipe them out in no time. God blesses because people respond in righteousness and holiness and obedience. God does. But there's not a guarantee for that. It's not a guarantee. The prosperity pictured here is due to the promise of God to his righteous ones. God produces the results, not us. You know, I, I, even our pastor would say that the producing of the results, as a matter of fact, he prayed that prayer this morning uh, for the men who were there. He prayed that prayer this morning. What God has done here through the faithfulness of God's people. That's what he sees. Without the faithfulness of God's people, without him being faithful in study and all of that to bring them, then it doesn't happen, folks. It doesn't happen. And then it's one little church over here, you know, like uh, out here in Roscoe with the little chapel. And it stays that way for ages. God produces the results. As it says here, the vine will yield its produce and the heavens will give their due. He gives what is necessary for the fruit. God is the one who supplies the heavenly resources of water and to grow and and to nurture those plants and to feed those plants and those vines. I'm not worried about global change and global climate and all of that. Yes, I throw my plastic bottles away and I keep my straw. I I do all of that, okay? And I take it to the next restaurant and I'm only kidding. But you know what, folks? God, it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. 8.13. It will come about that just as you were a curse among the nations, that's what Israel was, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that you may become a blessing. Do not fear, let your hands be strong. Who's the subject here that's going to do this? God is going to do this. And he's going to make them a blessing to the nations. Whatever age you live in, God has not changed. If he has changed, we're in trouble. Then he's not God. So he has not changed. The pathway to blessing is through obedience. That's our task. That's what makes our hands strong. As we serve the Lord, as we live in obedience, he has further purposes for us. And those purposes are always for his glory and for our good. Folks, I hope you get that idea that this is what he wants us to be doing. Now there's a seventh message here, and we see that in verses 14 through 17. Let me read that for us so we get a picture of it. Excuse me. For thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord of hosts, and I have not relented, so I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. Also, let none of you devise evil in your heart against another. And do not love perjury, for all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. It wasn't too long ago, I had to go to a court case. And, and I'm standing there, and I... The, the lawyer for the person that had called me came and sat down next to me. And he says, well, this is what happened and this is what happened. And I'm sitting there going, no, no. And he's feeding me more. And this is what happened and this is what happened. And this is what... I said, no. Well, I got on the stand and I told him the truth from my perspective. He didn't like it. He didn't like it. He was angry with me. I said, I have to tell the truth, and you better tell the truth every time you're in those kinds of situations. This is what it was. Maybe you should have asked different questions. I don't know. Or maybe not call me. 
But the seventh message is this. God eliminates fear. I, I, I didn't fear being there, but this is what it is. I'm going to tell the truth. Folks, if you were part of the Old Testament economy, if you had been living through, or you wouldn't live centuries, but you could see through centuries what God had done. You were able to pick up the scrolls and see what had happened year, century after century after century. You would fear God because there was a lot of punishment that went on. I mean, they, they had to spend 40 more years in the desert and all of these kinds of things. Yeah, you would have watched for centuries the rebellion of the people and then the rebuke by God over and over again, especially this last rebuke. <laughs> I love it when Habakkuk is arguing with God. You got to do something. There's, there's treachery in the city of Jerusalem. And God says, I, I got it under control. I'm, gonna t- I'm taking care of it. That's in Habakkuk 1, 1 through 5. And, and Habakkuk starts screaming at God again. That's the way I look at it. He was screaming at him because you can't do that to God, questioning him. And God says, I got it taken care of. I've got the Chaldeans coming to take you away to captivity. And I'm going, oops. I think he yelled at God too much. No, it wasn't him. It was the whole nation. You've watched this over and over and over again. Here they are now, 70 years in Babylon. You see the destruction of the temple, the destruction of the homes, because they were wiped out as well. There's no more wall to protect the city. And in those days, what you needed was a wall. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, just as I purpose to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath. He purposed to do harm to them. It's called a spanking. Hebrews chapter 12, what father doesn't spank his child? It's a spanking. And they got spanking after spanking after spanking. The ancestors aroused or they awoke God to anger with disobedience. In spite of this, God determined to keep his covenant with his chosen people. I, 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 do you see? I mean, God, even though they did this, continued to keep his love for them? You know, you think about it with your own child. If they were in that much rebellion over and over and over and over again, you'd probably say at one point, I'm done. I'm out of here. But that's not what God does because he's not like us. The word purposed here is a really an interesting word. It, it, it means a determination. It's a resolve to follow through. God was going to follow through and he was going to spank them. Gives the idea of someone talking to themselves. It's like, it's like this, you know, I, I'm, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna spank them. I'm gonna, that's the idea that it gives you. It gives you that kind of picture. He's just talking to himself because he's so on fire for what they're doing. They should not be doing this. So he's talking in a low voice to himself, arriving at the same conclusion every single time. I purposed, I purposed. Verse 15, so I have again purposed in those days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Israel. Do not fear. While harm was purposed over and over toward the fathers because of their sin, now Yahweh purposes good. Folks, that particular Hebrew word there for purposes is used every single time for judgment except here. It's used all the time for judgment except here. And that's why I think that little sentence is there. Do not fear. (laughs) Because that word purpose means judgment. And here, this word purposed is totally different. And you know how God puts all of these things together? He did that on purpose. He did that on purpose so that they would see, you obey, this is what's going to happen. Do not fear. Obedience does not procure blessing, folks, but it has graciously been bestowed on them by God. Grace has been bestowed upon us as well. 
You only enjoy those blessings if you are walking in the Lord, walking in the Spirit. You can see that in Galatians chapter 5, the, the, the fight between the flesh and the Spirit. But you only see the blessing when you have the, the fruit of the Spirit living out in your life. Would you turn with me? And I think I have time. I'm so glad we don't have a clock in here anymore. Because I'm always trying to figure out, do I have enough time to do this one? Do I have enough time to say this? Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10. Verse 12 and 13. Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require from you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. That's all. Isn't that the same thing in Matthew chapter 22? Love God with your whole heart, mind, and soul. It's, it's not, it, God hasn't changed. Verse 13. And to keep the Lord's commandments and the statutes which I am commanding you today for your good. If you keep those commandments, they're actually for your good. Now, I, I've seen so often where somebody has chosen not to obey God. It's like the man who 25 years ago told me he would not spank his son. I said, you need to spank your son. He comes to me I, two or three years ago and he says, uh, I should have listened to you. My son is a criminal. He's now in jail. I never did spank him. I never did correct him. I'm not, okay. I I, I didn't say that to him, but I said, let's pray for him. Because he knew the gospel. He grew up in this church. Folks, if you don't obey, God is going to bring that about. ah, There's so many other. Now, I'm going to say this. Do not. And I mean it. Do not look for blessings without obedience of faith. Because if you look for blessings without obedience of faith, you are self-deceived. You're self-deceived. And some people want that. You know that, and so do I. I want to be blessed all the time. I'm a gimme, gimme, gimme. Isn't that the way we grow up? (coughs) Gimme, gimme, gimme. As soon as we come out of the womb, we're screaming at mom, gimme. Yeah. 1 John 2, 4 says this, the one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. We are to be keeping his commandments, walking in righteousness and holiness. Let's go back to Zechariah chapter, uh, verse 16 of uh, chapter 8. These things are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in the gates. The end of verse 15 says, do not fear. Can I just give you a, 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 a New Testament verse for not fearing? And I know that that's, you know, it seems so trite, but there's no reason to fear anything. 1 John 4.18 says uh, to have perfect love because perfect love casts out fear. I think I said it the right way. I'm not sure. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And what is that love? That's love for Jesus Christ. It's love for God. It will cast out fear. Now, folks, I'm... I want you to know there will not, there will not be fear where there is obedience. Where there is obedience, there will not be fear. Remember coming back from Russia and here they dropped me off at the airport. Nobody's speaking English. I have no idea where to go and I just keep moving. (laughs) And I, I get to where I'm supposed to be. I says, is this the right place? Uh, and yet, you know, I mean, I'm getting Russian. They're not helping me. So, well, that looks like the number, I think, you know, and I get on the plane, you know. <laughs> I have no idea. It's like the right plane. I, I, they, there's not much help there, and, and I think Heather can tell you they don't really like Americans, except for Donald Trump. Uh, God's resolve to bless his people cannot be divorced from their obedience. God's love 
God's resolve to bless his people cannot be divorced from their obedience. While previously there was a focus on the vertical relationship with God, now Zechariah is going to bring in the horizontal relationship we have with our neighbor. Now, I want you to consider your neighbor. It's not just the person sitting next to you right now. It's not necessarily the person you live next to. It's the person you live with. It's the person you interact with most of the time. Those are the kind of people that you must have the right kind of relationship. How is their personal relationships with others? How do they have personal relationships with others? How is the one another's being carried out? Is there love for one another, care for one another, bearing one another's burdens? All those kind of things going on. That's how you can gauge to some degree How you handle yourself with your neighbor truly reflects the private relationship you have with God. That's what it does. If you're always having disputes and dissensions with them, then maybe that's an indication of your relationship with God. At the end of the verse, Zechariah uses this phrase, for peace in your gates. Now, that's an illusion, okay, to the business and how business was carried out in those days. What they, would, they would have a, a men, usually older men. I'm going to call them elders. They're, they're not elders like in the church sense. And they would be around the gates and you would bring your business to them. You would bring your personal situation, your legal situation, your economic situation to them. And they'd be around the gates and they'd be giving you advice. When they were in the gate, they were to what? Speak the truth. The veracity of what was said was tested by all those who were in attendance. Here you got a crowd. And you know, you're saying, this is what you need to do. You need to go pay your taxes. You don't need to pay your taxes. You need to do this. You need to do that. It's now being heard by everybody who's there. The next phrase expresses the duty of those hearing the case is to judge with truth and judgment for peace. See, the idea was to always bring peace about in relationships. Uh, That's what you need to be looking for is the peace and the the resolving of conflict. That's what needed to happen. If there is a problem between different parties, the judgment was not to be of one's uh, uh, relative, but uh, the truth. What I mean there is that if an older man is in the judgment and somebody from his family comes, he doesn't just judge for them because they're family, he judges because of truth. Doesn't favor them. We, we don't have that kind of thing today. We have people that think uh, that you need to take care of your kids and, and you get them good jobs and, and uh, get them a lot of money and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's okay, but that's not doing it because they deserve it. Peace comes at a cost, folks. Peace comes at a cost. I'm I'm in the midst of reading, and I thought I had read it before, but obviously I haven't. Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. Incredible, incredible. There's so many things there. And, And peace, and he'll say it, comes at compromise. Peace comes at compromise. You gotta compromise. If you care about the welfare of everybody around you, the 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 neighbors, so to speak, you need to compromise. God eliminates fear when you trust him. God eliminates fear when you trust him. Verse 17, also, let none of you devise evil in your heart against one another and do not love perjury. For all these are what I hate, declares the Lord. Do not love perjury. For all these I hate. Hate, declares the Lord. We know what to do. We understand God's word. We we understand where we are to be righteous and holy. That's the battle we have, isn't it? It's between our heart and our desires and what he wants. That's the struggle that we have. 
the battle that we have. Am I going to live out God's sovereign will for my life? Am I going to continue to have a heart of obedience? Or am I going to have a heart of give me, give me, give me? And it's an everyday battle, isn't it? And it happens most personally between spouses. It happens most personally between roommates. It happens most personally between moms and children and dads and parents and all of that kind of stuff. You see, folks, ultimately, we know that the Messiah is coming. We all, we all agree that. He covers the sin. By grace, he has chosen us. Don't deserve to be saved, but he has chosen us. Jeremiah 31, 33 says this, I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God and they shall be my people. That's what he's going to do. For the, and that's what he's going to do for us as he saves them. Folks, Jesus Christ was came to save us. He came And he showed us a big God that could do big things. We've seen seven things here. I need to move to the next. But uh, I really like this. I may even get used to this, Connor. I don't know. God's love, God's being, God's peace, God's power, God's sovereignty. God produces results and God eliminates fear. I don't know about you, but praise God. Psalm 32, 10 says this, he who rests in the Lord, loving kindness shall surround him. And that's what I pray for you this week. May the Lord surround you. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Grace Community Church, for the faithfulness of our pastor for these many, many years. May you, Lord, continue to bless this church abundantly. But Lord, we pray, Lord, for faithfulness obedience, righteousness. I pray these things in your name. Amen.